I'm all about building communities, celebrating unique journeys, and sharing stories about the paths people have taken to enter the tech industry. Join me as we explore the skills my guests have learned in their prior jobs, schooling, or life experiences, and how they apply them to their current roles in tech. My guest today is a self-taught developer and is the Python developer advocate at Vonage. She has an eclectic background ranging from roles in business, pharmaceutical sales, and even as a former professional women's basketball player. When I was like eight or nine, my parents got a computer, which was like unheard of at the time. Don't want to date mm-hmm. myself too much, but it was unheard of. And <laughs> yeah, so I started coding in basic. Like I, uh, it was, I think it was like a Texas Instrument computer. And with the computer, like this manual, you know, this big manual came with it. And uh, my brother and I would just go through like all the tutorials and basic. I'm your host, Lauren Lee, and this is We Belong Here, lessons from unconventional paths to tech. Her name is Tanya Sims, and I am so, so excited to be chatting with her today. Tanya, welcome to We Belong Here. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Should we start at the beginning? Uh, let's let's do it. Okay, cool. So can you tell me more about the experiences, all of them that you had before entering <laughs> tech? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I, I literally have switched careers so many times. <laughs> I love it. Okay. That's like, you are in the right place. Okay. Fabulous. <laughs> yeah, I've switched careers a lot. So anybody out there who wants to switch careers, it's definitely doable at any age. But absolutely. Yeah. So, so yeah, I started like, I'll start from the beginning, I guess. Like I started playing basketball when I was five years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, actually, li- literally, I was kind of came up my mother's womb with the basketball because everybody in my, my family is an athlete. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I started at five and then I went on to play professionally in Europe and Poland, to be exact, and a little bit in the WNBA here in the States. Awesome. After that, I retired uh, at around age like 25. And then I went and I worked for a pharmaceutical company doing sales. That's okay. I mean, first of all, like, isn't that wild to retire at age 25? I mean, that's when most people are getting started with their career. And I I don't, so were you interested in sales when you were in school? Was that like always kind of the back or the backup plan, if you will, when you like, I don't know how, how did you plan that sort of thing out? Not really. I got into sales (laughs) because I just felt like, I mean, a lot of athletes, they go into sales. Like, that's like the natural transition. And so I just figured, okay, well, maybe that's what I'll do too. Uh, But Right. uh, And like you, you have made a life so far interacting with all these different teams and people on it. And there's probably some persuasion there that happens in just like the relationship building, I imagine. So I can see how that could translate. Yeah. And definitely too, like, I know the pharmaceutical company that I work for, I work for Pfizer. They actually okay. hired a lot of people who were at, like former athletes, and they also hired people who were ex-military. Oh, I'm not ex-military, but my both my parents are. My mom and dad were both in the Air Force. That's how they met. Aww. So yeah, it just kind of seemed like a natural transition uh, for me cool. to get into sales, but not that I loved it. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like <laughs> I didn't hate it either. I just I just sure. knew that it wasn't like the career for me. You know, and in undergrad, I majored in business. I even took okay. a few tech classes. Uh, but thinking back, I wish I would have taken more. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. I ended up in the tech industry anyway. So, totally. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then take me there. How did you, you know, while in that sales role, um, how did you decide to learn to code and how exactly did you learn it? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. So, 
when I was like eight or nine, my parents got a computer, which was like unheard of at the time. Don't want to date mm-hmm. myself too much, but it was unheard of. And <laughs> yeah, so I started coding in basic. Like I, uh, it was, I think it was like a Texas instrument computer and with the computer, like this manual, you know, this big manual came with it. And uh, my brother and I would just go through like all the tutorials in basic. Mm-hmm. So that was like my first language, but awesome. you know, 20 years later, you know, like I took 20 years off of coding. Yeah, cut to. <laughs> cut to 20 years later. I moved to Chicago from Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got a job working for a large financial company as an executive assistant in their <laughs> IT department. Oh. <laughs> so I did the executive assistant thing for like six months. And I was like, you know what, like I, this, you know, I want to like try to get in the tech because this like seems where the excitement is. Right. So I was actually able to transition into a computer operator role where in the in their data center, right? Like back when they, you know, you had to swap out tapes mm-hmm. uh, physically <laughs> in this huge data center. And I was like, okay, you know, this is cool, but you know, I feel like there's more, right? Because I saw people doing all these other cool things with coding. And so actually a coworker of mine gave me a book on um, coding, like how to learn visual basic.net, right? Because that was like oh. the hot language back then. I, yeah. I love and moments so that like that, though, when you're together. on the job, right? And you're able to yes. find like opportunities there to learn, like versus going out into the wild, quitting your job. I don't know. There's like a safety net in that way. And it's like supportive. And it's cool to have that coworker who's like, hey, if you're curious, you know, check this out. Yes, I totally agree. I feel like he was like my guardian angel, you know, because he uh-huh. I, literally he came to my desk one day. He's like, dropped this book off on my desk because he knew I was interested in coding. Right. And he was just like, you know, I have a book for you. So. Oh, I love that. Okay, cool. So yeah. so that was in .NET, you said. And were you able to continue finding roles there? Or or then how did you fall in love with Python, I guess, is really the piece that I, I am so excited to learn about, too. Yeah, so after I learned .NET, I actually went and worked for a, uh, a joint venture Microsoft company. Uh, and that company, we were doing C-sharp. So I had to kind of switch over to C-sharp. Good Still Microsoft you. Technologies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I went to grad school for... Oh. Uh, I didn't finish though, but but I but I, I I did go for a while. Uh, I was getting a master's in information, computer information okay. systems, and they taught Java. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, this is good, you know. And but so when I you know finished with grad school, or whatever, I got a job doing Ruby on Rails. Got it. Okay. Well, this is great because like you're polygot, right? In the sense that you've got all the tech on your resume. You've hit every single buzzword that a recruiter is searching for. So it's like, I can do it all. I can learn. And even if I don't know it yet, I've demonstrated that I can learn it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's just... It's so interesting, like how the recruiters look at those keywords. Oh my gosh, uh, I know. You know on on the resume. Uh, so I finally, you know, after doing Ruby on Rails, you know, I started like really kind of hanging out with some Python engineers, and I started getting involved more in the Python community. And I was like, mm. oh my god, like this is where I want to be. And uh, I love like the language, like the, the syntax of Python. Yeah. yeah. So I just fell in love with Python, and I guess you know that's kind of how I move forward. Oh, that's great. That is so fun. Yeah, I think there's something really important there too of like find the community that you feel as though you can connect to while learning and feel excited about maybe attending conferences or building just, you know, those relationships while you're on that learning journey is so important. And yeah, the Python one is so welcoming. Yeah, yeah, just very heartwarming really to hear that story. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. The Python community, like you were saying, is very welcoming and there's so many like Slack channels, like Discord, there's a huge Python Discord channel. Uh, Yeah, so it was very, they were very, have been very supportive, so. 
Right. Like the the place of, or you know, just demonstrating that, hey, if you have a question, you can come and ask that. And I think while you're learning, it's important to have that just as a resource. So that's really, that's incredible to hear. So looking back on that then, what would you say maybe kept you from entering the tech industry before you did? I know you mentioned that you were playing around with things with your siblings early on. Was it just that like the love for basketball essentially kind of trumped everything else? Yeah, I think that's, that was part of it, like basketball in school, you know, because I mm-hmm. figured like that's what was going to get me through college for you sure. know, on a scholarship and stuff. So, and I guess what kept me from entering the tech industry before I did too was I thought that you had to have a CS degree mm-hmm. and like a computer oh science gosh. degree. Yeah. And it yeah. wasn't until I got my first tech job as a computer operator, actually, where I met, like, I think. I mean, most of the people who were working in the IT department you know, or who, who were doing software engineering, they did not have a CS degree. Mm. Um, they were all self-taught and some of them didn't even have a college degree either. So, um, so that was one thing. And the other thing is I didn't know, like, I just thought about like coding, right? But I didn't know about other options within the mm. tech industry. Oh my gosh, yeah. You know, yeah. to that job, so... Yeah. I mean, gosh, I mean, there's, there's so many important pieces in that, right? Like I completely agree. I felt like because I hadn't studied CS in school, there was, it was, it was just not an option for me, Mm -hmm. but I, yeah, I feel, I feel happy that the industry feels as though it's shifting in a bit that that isn't the narrative necessarily anymore, or just like the boot camps are self-taught and those sort of pathways are becoming, you know, more widely, you know, shouted from the rooftop, if you will. But I don't know. I yeah, it, it's great to then meet folks on the job and be like, oh, okay, you didn't also great. Like, what was your path to it? So I think yeah, that's really what this whole show is about, honestly. Yeah, I think boot camps were just starting to become popular. Like right when I kind of like left grad school, and I was like, oh darn it, yeah, I could have done a boot camp instead. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so. uh, no, I mean, and those yeah, exactly when they were new, that was everyone was pretty skeptical, or everyone was pretty skeptical of that path also because it felt like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of money. I don't know. So yeah. there's just there's no one right way. Is essentially though, I think the right. truth of the piece of or like the important thing to remember ultimately because. You know, it's just the ability to, you know, take on, as you've demonstrated, like all these different languages and mm-hmm. to be able to write great code, you know? And so I don't know, there, I think I'm, I think there's something cool happening in the industry though, where everyone is kind of getting louder about opportunities that people can, or in pathways people can take. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I feel like, I mean, boot camps are great. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, there are some amazing boot camps out there, sure. but I don't feel like you really need one. I mean, in order to get your first job in tech, I think uh, YouTube is your friend, you know, and so it's like uh, places like Udemy and other online yeah. course platforms that are maybe less expensive than a boot camp where you can get like a certification. Definitely. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, okay, so bring me to today. Can you tell me more about what you do at Vonage as a Python developer advocate? Yeah, so uh, so yes, I'm a Python developer advocate at Vonage. This is like my dream role. Like oh. when I <laughs> first saw the description, actually, um, there was a young woman who, well, I'm part of this uh, 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 Slack group with uh, woman engineers, woman coders, and Somebody posted the job description there and I just read through it and I was like, oh my goodness, like this would be, I feel like this would be a role that I would really thrive in. And so at Vonage in my role, um, I do like a 70-30 split. So 70% of my time is spent coding. So like, for example, maintaining our APIs, adding new features to them, 
And then 30% is doing like technical talks, development virtually, unfortunately, <laughs> um, right now because of the pandemic. But I'm looking forward yeah. to getting out there physically and, you know, meeting people in person, uh, writing blog posts, and just nurturing the Python community. So... So important. I love it. Yeah. I've yeah. had a lot of folks from the DevRel space and myself, but mm-hmm. I think, yeah, the being able to build community around the technical different languages that we're passionate about or the products or the technologies, whatever it is, I think it, it's an important piece of the whole thing to get people excited about learning to code or using the different tech and, and feeling empowered to do so. So I, yeah, it's the best. It's such yeah. a, it's like you said, it's a dream role because it's not just about sitting behind a machine all the time. It's about interacting with the world and helping other people feel excited about code too. Yeah, that that's so true because before I started working at Vonage, I had been work I had been I had been looking just for like straight engineering roles. Mm. And I was like second kind of second guessing myself like, you know, I don't really think I want to always sit behind a computer and have yeah. and have, you know, hardly any interaction with people. So I just kind of like really, I mean, it's like pulling from like my sales background and also like, you know, my basketball background where you have to like, you know, communicate with people and be a team yeah. player. I just felt like DevRel was like a really good spot for me to be in. So I love it. Yeah, actually, let's talk about that because how would you say, you know, your past as a professional basketball player, or, you know, in sales, how, how have those, the skills that you learned, lessons, et cetera, helped you today in your role as a, a developer advocate? So I would say for like the basketball experience, um, you know, being, you know, having to be, you know, a team player, I think Mm -hmm. basketball is like the ultimate team sport. Um, So being a team player, just knowing how to communicate, I just think about like, you know, there's five people on the court when you're playing basketball. Uh, Well, five on five, so there's 10 total, but (laughs) five on a team that are out there playing. And you have to always be communicating with each other, like when you're running plays and stuff like that. So um, I also think that, you know, I, with basketball, um, it was a very early age. I think I was like 14 when, um, so I was like a freshman in high school, right? When like, I really started feeling the pressure hmm. just because I started getting recruited from college coaches at 14. And so, <gasps> oh, that's yeah, early. it's so Holy early, God, right? That's early. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're like, it's I just so love to be a kid and play the sport I love. <laughs> I know. And it was, it was, you know, it was a little, it was a little tough because, you know, I had been such like a, you know, private person and thank goodness there was like no social media back then. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so like dealing with like the pressure, I think kind of helped too. Yeah. And I, oh, and also, great point. Yeah. I also feel like, you know, playing basketball, it's like, you have to be creative mm-hmm. and analytical. And I yeah. feel like this role in Deborah, at least for my, like with my 70, 30 split and coding yeah. with, uh, doing talks and stuff allows mm-hmm. me to be creative and analytical. It's um, very right brain, left yeah. brain. Like I am feeling like I, I'm constantly flexing both muscles or using that. I don't know. Right. Like I can problem solve and be very technical, but then I can also like stand on stage and tell a funny story. I mean, hopefully, yeah. but like, <laughs> just like <laughs> I feel like very different skill sets and it's so interesting to find the space where we get to blend them. Yes. Yeah. And w- just like what you said about storytelling, like I, 
I am like obsessed with like the hero's journey by Joseph Campbell. So yeah. So I was an English teacher before I learned to code. So like you were speaking my language. That was our introduction. Ninth grade, like welcome to high school. Go find a movie or a book or game that you've played or, you know, video game that connects to the hero's journey or follows it and like then present it to the class. That was their first assignment. I love it. I just think anything can really be applied to it. And so it's just like allows them to showcase what they love with the class then too, and like show off their personality a little bit, but oh yes, love it also. (laughs) Yeah. I try to do like, I try to like structure my technical talks around the hero's journey because one of the fears I have is being boring when I talk. So I'm giving a presentation, (laughs) you know, so I'm like, I think the worst thing would be if I'm giving a talk and like putting people to sleep or somebody's walking out. I was like, so, you know, I try to like, you know, yeah. make it fun. So yeah. Oh, I love that. I think that that is. Yeah. I, th- first off, like just me too, right? Like I, that. That is the fear. Is and luckily, I, I guess doing it now online. I don't know how many like, conferences you've done or spoken at during the past few years. You know, it just it's so different to give a talk to an online conference versus being in person where you can kind of feel the pulse of the room. Like, oh, they're loving this or they're responding to it. Um, I just feel like the pressure when I'm doing it from my home office in a different way. Yeah, that's so true. And actually, uh, this is my first Devro role, actually. So I'm like brand speaking new to developer relations. Um, so I haven't done, well, I've done presentations in the past. Um, like I've done some tech talks in the past and stuff, but None as a developer advocate, uh, like in person. So, um, you know, since Vonage, they've all been virtual, but I'm, I just can't wait to just do one in person. (laughs) Get you on the road. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, that'll be great. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, can you share any life lessons that you've learned from your transition to tech? Yeah. So, I can share a few. I think, like, if you're listening and you want to start coding, I just want to say, like, you are going to get frustrated in that. I would say, like, I would say, like, that's totally normal. Yes. Normalize that. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes it's totally normal. Very common. Uh, there's engineers of all level that still get frustrated with things or, like, banging their head against computers. They can't figure something out and, you know, use Google, right? I mean, I think every engineer uses Google uh, or Stack Overflow or some online, you know, help channel. So that's one thing. Uh, and I would also say get out of what it's called tutorial hell, mm. which, is, which is a mistake that I fell into uh, Yeah, a place on. I know well. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, I knew it too well as, as well. But like, yeah, so I guess what that means is like, you know, if you're doing a tutorial, you know, tutorials are wonderful, but maybe instead of like following it verbatim, you know, build your own projects. Mm-hmm. And really, just make mistakes. Uh, make you know mistakes, and that's how you learn. It's like yeah. it's getting out and like building your own stuff. Yeah, um, break things. Like get messy. Yes. Get your hands dirty with the code yes. versus following or the copy paste thing. You know where you're not really processing it, not really learning. I don't know. Maybe some people that right. Like who knows? But I, I love that advice. I think that's that's really important. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess some people do learn, you know, by doing things like following a tutorial verbatim. I mean, I guess yeah, that's okay at first, but yeah. It just pushing the boundaries is a helpful way to think about what might be interesting for you, too. I think discovering what part of code is the compelling piece for you because there's so many, as we've said, there's so many different roles within this industry and it's such a large umbrella that tech is that, you know, creating apps or demo projects that are interesting and compelling to you versus just following a tutorial could really help you find your niche and 
it just open up doors that were unexpected and new to someone because I don't know, I have a lot of mentees that are very obsessed with trying to figure out early on in their career, like, oh, do I want to be front end, back end, IO full stack, or maybe iOS? And I'm like, let's just let's pause on that because let's be open to all of it. Like let's right. do a project in every single stack and just see what feels good and is interesting. And I don't know, I think when we pigeonhole ourselves, it can be obviously a little limiting. I think that's that's very true. And it's so funny that you mentioned that because I see on, I've been seeing on Twitter a lot lately, like the whole, like, what word am I even looking for? Like debate or like the, you know, like between front end and back end or JavaScript oh and Python. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> Like, do we all have to be so divided on these things? Like, let's just, I don't know, why why pick early? You know, just, I, don't, I think there is probably, pre- people want, when you're transitioning a career, you want to envision what your job is going to be ultimately while you're in that learning phase. So I can certainly relate to that feeling of, you know, this is the type of job I'm going to be gunning for. And, you know, these are the people or that I need to be connecting with on LinkedIn. Uh, so I think it is probably a very human Thing to be compelled by, but uh, there's just such a fun opportunity if you're just like, I don't really know what I want to learn yet, but I'm going to try and learn. And I don't know, I guess there, you can never be an expert in all things tech. Like you can never truly know everything about coding. So it's kind of fun just to stay in that learner seat for a little bit longer. Yeah. And that's actually a good point because um, another life lesson that I've learned or that I can share with people who are wanting to trans- transition yeah. into tech is create a plan. Um, I know it may be kind of hard at first, but like, I think creating a plan to like what you want to learn and where you want to be at like three months, six months, 12 months, two years. Um, and just like have some metrics around, you know, things that you want to learn, where you want to be. I think that would also help as well. So, Mm -hmm. and I love shouting those sort of things from the rooftops. Mountaintops. Wait, I don't know what that phrase is. But like, <laughs> yes, accountability wise, you know, having in my boot camp, we call them our accountability buddies, which is, <laughs> you know, a little silly. But like just sharing those goals out loud with someone, you know, there's some psychology piece there of that it'll help you stay on track. But it also means that then people are cheering you on too, which uh, I think is important to have a community supporting you when you're taking on something this big, such as learning to code. <laughs> Yeah, or even like finding a mentor. There's like oh, a whew. handful of sites out there where you can find a mentor for for free. You know, maybe somebody more senior, maybe also somebody maybe more like somebody who's junior, but maybe a little bit more experienced where you can do mm-hmm. like a peer-to-peer mentoring yeah. and learn from each other. Yeah. So yeah, I, I had um I didn't have a mentor early on, um, but I I did eventually find one and it just, you know, leveled up. I just leveled up so much quicker. Totally. I mean, just a just a workshop. Even back to what you were saying before, of like, am I like googling too much? I just had a, <laughs> a mentee ask me that. Like, I'm like looking on Stack Overflow for every question I have. Is that okay? And I just needed to almost interrupt them and be like, absolutely, that is what all of us do. Like, we Google <laughs> yes. everything. There is never too much. Like that. I don't know. You never need to have that. I don't know, method memorized, like know that it might exist and just (laughs) type it into Google. (laughs) So it is just someone to have around to ask those questions. Very important, I think. Yes, it is for sure. (laughs) Okay, so can you, uh, let's see, tell me about a time that you felt like an outsider and how you've dealt with that feeling. Ooh, that's a good question. Oh my goodness. Well, let me think. Okay, so I feel like 
I do feel like it's maybe common for some like women, you know, to feel like outsiders in tech because there's not many of us. Although I do see more and more women entering the field, which really makes me happy. Mm-hmm. So I would say like, I don't know, like there was one role that I was in um, some years ago uh, working for like this joint venture company of Microsoft. And there were like tons of consultants, right? We had like maybe 200 consultants, and but there were only three women, <laughs> three mm-hmm. women consultants. Now the, the, the good news is that I made a lot of friends there and I, you know, I'm still keep in touch. They're all guys, but I feel like, you know, women <laughs> and men can still be friends, you know? Sure, sure, sure. Um, but I kind of wanted to get away from that, like, you know, like what I call like the macho culture, I guess, mm, yeah. you know, and I really value transparency. And that's why I do really like working for Vonage because I do feel like they have been transparent about a lot of things. And so that's one of the reasons why I left my previous role. I just felt like there wasn't enough, you know, there wasn't a lot of transparency and I just felt, you know, like I, maybe my managers weren't as good of, as good of communicators. Mm. Um, you know, they were younger and not that a younger person couldn't be a good manager. You know, that's not what I'm saying. It's just that, you know, (laughs) some people just don't communicate as well. So totally. No, I mean, transparency in a company and that is something to look out for even in the interview phase. I think that that's something to be forward about asking and interviewing right back when searching for a new role. I think it takes having gone through, as you said, kind of a negative space like that to maybe realize the importance of that. But I completely agree with you. It's something that I now very much look for and prioritize very highly. So I I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. And you've shared a lot already, but do you have any advice for those wanting to transition into tech that you can share? Yeah, I would just say, I mean, things that we've talked about, but, you know, find a mentor. I think that's like super important. Mm -hmm. You know, either someone more senior or like I was saying earlier, like someone who's more like who's junior as well, but with a little bit more experience. Maybe they can do peer-to-peer mentoring. Embrace your learning style. This is something Mm -hmm. I was like super insecure about, like for a while, actually, because I would say that my learning style is very unique. I mean, I'm visual a learner and a you know like a lot of people but i i learn by story so mm. i um if i'm like wanting to learn something even if it's really technical i make up like a little story about it uh, you know trying to incorporate the hero's journey as much as possible but yeah so i learn by story so it really embrace uh, your strengths and your learning style because i think that will help expedite your your coding journey Yeah. I mean, even taking the time to really reflect on things that you have recently successfully learned. Yeah. What was that that made it feel successful so that you do know your style of learning? I think that that is really important work to do for yourself just in general, because not everyone can identify or pinpoint exactly their preference or, uh, you know, best way to tackle something new. Yeah, and I I totally agree with you. And I I wish I would have like listened to my intuition like a lot sooner, <laughs> um, you know, sure. and embraced my learning style a lot sooner. Because I always thought that like something was like uh, I don't know, like I just felt like I was like learning slower. But it was just like the way that I learn is just different. And so mm-hmm. once I embraced it, it, just you know, just kind of you know things like started going a lot faster for me with the learning um, mm-hmm. experience and mm-hmm. stuff. But yeah, so embrace it and just be confident in that. I love that. Yeah. I mean, as a prior teacher, again, like I think even hearing you say that is music to my ears because 
I don't know. I think there, there are so many different modalities of, and styles of learning. And, and just because it feels like it's successful for some folks, you know, you might be watching people on YouTube that are doing tutorials talking about how quickly they've learned to code or how fast they found a job. I just think this industry mm-hmm. is packed with the comparative game, which can be really yes. dangerous just to know that even if you, yeah, that we're all unique in that way. And so it's as much as you can to not try and be exactly how someone else has done it or, you know, be open to the different ways that we process stuff. Yeah. And I think too, that goes with like, you know, also being like a visual learner. Uh, I mean, I cannot sure. draw to save my life. <laughs> if you, I mean, my, my uh, 11 year old niece and nephew can draw like much better than I can, but like visually, you know, if I'm like learning something, I just like draw yeah. little, like, little stick figures or whatever, like little diagrams. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like, just like what you said, like just embrace it. So yeah, cool. All right. So we are at the rapid fire section of questions now. So tell me, um, Tanya, what is your favorite app on your phone? Ooh, my favorite app right now, I would say it's Spotify. Yeah. Ooh, great. Favorite tech stack. Oh, this, I could guess that one. (laughs) Well, Python. uh, And I'm working a lot with Fast API as well. So nice. Yeah. I just saw, I was reading your tutorial or your uh, piece that you published with Vonage, the Fast versus uh, Flask. Oh, cool. Thanks. Yeah. I I love Fast API. So awesome. Yeah. Okay. uh, How do you start your morning? Coffee, tea? What's a routine to start your Um, day? I start my morning with meditation and coffee first. Yeah, Love it. Those two in that order. <laughs> very good. Very, um, oh my gosh. One of, one of my questions is what's your style of learning, but we just talked about that. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. Narrative storytelling. Um, if you could go back and tell yourself some bit of wisdom, when would you pick and what would you say? I would say stop being a perfectionist. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Progress <laughs> over perfection. That's what I would say. Yeah, progress. Love that. Uh, what are you going to learn next? JavaScript. I'm actually learning it right now. Exciting. Yeah. Uh, how are you doing that? Like, what are how are you teaching yourself essentially? Yeah, I purchased a course on Udemy, uh, okay. and I am learning from a woman named Dr. Angela Yu, who teaches the uh, course through App Brewery. It's like an online boot camp. The course wow. was, I think, less than fifteen dollars, and it's um, it's phenomenal. It's very very good. I love that. And yeah. and working full time, like how are you able to balance how how much time can you dedicate to that a week essentially? Um, I would say I probably do like for that particular course, maybe like twenty to thirty minutes per day. Nice. Yeah. So you so break like, it up. Small. Very smart. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, great advice. Uh oh, what's a good book you've read recently? Ooh, good book. Okay. I would say, oh, it's a book by my favorite author. His name is Daniel Pink. And it's called To Sell is Human, which has nothing to do with tech. But, well, actually, it kind of does a little bit. But, you know, he just talks about kind of an older book, like 2012-ish. But he writes about how selling today is a lot different than it was, you know, way back yonder, where the the buyer now has just as much information as the seller. And so you don't need mm-hmm. to aggressively sell anymore, you know, it's like, because we're living in this information age. Right, uh, we can and assume sell- they've done that research. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so he really uh, talks about like building relationships, oh. you know, and during the selling process. So I guess it does have a little bit to do with the yeah. developer relations, you know. Totally. Job, so yeah, I love that. Okay, well, I will be sure to include a link to it in the show notes for listeners. Sure. Yeah, um, but okay, um, make your shout out. What would you like listeners to go check out? 
Uh, well, you can check me out on Twitter. That's where I hang out most of the times. Uh, I'm just at, <laughs> at Tanya Sims. Yeah, I'm trying to get my Twitter game up a little bit. <laughs> so Okay, we can help with that. Um, Absolutely. We belong yes. here. Community will, yes, come flood you. Love it. <laughs> and my DMs are always open. So if you want to ask any questions about like my journey or Aww. coding or Python, just shoot, shoot me a message and I'll get back to you. Uh, yeah, so that's where people can find me. Okay, incredible. Well, thank you so much for offering yourself as a resource and also sharing your journey and wisdom and advice with listeners today. I so, so appreciate it. And it's been such a joy to get to know you a little bit more today. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. And that's a wrap on today's episode. I'm Lauren Lee. Thank you for listening to We Belong Here. If you have any questions about this or any other episode, find me on Twitter at Lolo Coding. That's L-O-L-O-C-O-D-I-N-G. Shoot me an email or leave a comment on the We Belong Here website. If you enjoyed this episode, please, please, please subscribe and review the show on your podcast player of choice. And be sure to check us out next week for another story and lessons learned from an unconventional path to tech.